Hello, everyone. If we've been stressed out the past several days, indeed, the past several months, then there is no better place to be than to find ourselves in the presence of the Lord who loves us more than we could ever know. Let us heed the counsel of 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So may it be. Amen. Let's now approach uh, the preaching of God's word in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we pray that you would open our minds to the truth of your word by means of the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see Jesus. Open our hearts to love him more and more. Open our wills to do only that which is righteous in your sight, so that your name may be glorified. Amen. Past few weeks, we have been studying Jesus' messages to the seven churches of Revelation. Today, we take up the seventh and last one. Jesus' message addressed to the church gathered in Laodicea. Laodicea, like the other churches we have talked about, was located in southwestern Turkey and was situated along an important trade route. The city occupied an almost square plateau several hundred feet above the floor of the Lycus River Valley. To the south lay mountains that rise to over 8,000 feet. In Roman times, Laodicea became the wealthiest city in the whole region. The fertile ground of the valley provided good grazing for sheep, and sheep ranchers, through careful breeding, produced a soft, lustrous black wool that was much in demand. That, in turn, sparked a growing textile industry. The city became an agricultural, commercial, and banking center, and such was the city's wealth that when it was destroyed by an earthquake in 60 AD, the city was able to completely rebuild without help from Rome. Laodicea was also famous for its medical school, here, special medicines were produced. Particularly famous was an ointment made from spice nard for the ears, and an eye salve made from Phrygian powder mixed with oil. The church was probably established about the same time as the, as the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey while he was in Ephesus. The church is mentioned four times in the letter to the Colossians, and many scholars believe a Christian by the name of Epaphras was its founder. There is no indication that Paul ever visited here, though he did write a letter specifically to this church and a letter which was subsequently lost. Listen now as the Lord of the church speaks to the Laodiceans in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and a salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The risen Christ's message to his church in Laodicea contains not one word of commendation. The church has no virtue that is singled out for praise. No one is congratulated for special service. Jesus' evaluation of this church is summarized in the shocking statement, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I remember my preaching professor in seminary suggesting to our class that we might not want to choose this text for our very first sermon when arriving at a new church. Well, the problem here in Laodicea was not that there were false teachers spreading error or that they, that they were being persecuted or that they were practicing immorality. The problem was that the members of this church were self-sufficient and were therefore only half-heartedly devoted to their Lord. They were neither hot nor cold, but merely lukewarm in their faith. Jesus used an image that the Laodiceans would understand. Since the city had no local water supply, it had developed a stone aqueduct system to bring water from the hot springs of Hierapolis some six miles away. And these hot springs are a very interesting geological site. In Roman times, the springs were a popular tourist site, and thousands of people would come to bathe in the hot, mineral-laden water to heal their bodily ailments, and they still do today. But what is most interesting are the calcified white cliffs of the area formed by mineral deposits from the water flowing over them. You can see these white cliffs from the ruins of Laodicea six miles away. As I say, the city of Laodicea piped the water from these springs, but by the time this water reached Laodicea, it was tepid and distasteful. In fact, it was rather nauseating. As their water supply, so too their faith. The church was merely lukewarm. They were complacent and only casually interested in the things of God. How did the Laodiceans become so lukewarm? Well, it surely had a lot to do with their affluence. The people in this church of Laodicea reflected the general material affluence of the population. In fact, they took a certain pride in their prosperity, saying, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. They became smug and self-satisfied in their affluence, no doubt thinking that their abundant material resources could solve all their problems. They claimed to be disciples of Christ, but their self-satisfied contentment kept Christ at arm's length. I am rich, I've prospered, I have no need of anything, they would say. They had grown soft in their faith, unaware of their true condition. And though they may have been rich in terms of worldly wealth, in reality, they were poor in the things that counted most. In the Lord's estimation, they were, in fact, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Spiritually, they were in the poorhouse. Well, of all the letters addressed to the seven churches, perhaps this one speaks most directly to the church today especially the affluent church in America. For the church in our land tends to be too comfortable, too complacent, too smug, too self-satisfied. We too tend to put trust in our money and in our own resources. I am rich, I've prospered, I have no need of anything. I don't need help from anybody. You know, it's the old American rugged individualism that would rely on one's own ingenuity and one's own resources with no help from anybody else, including God, it seems. Unless, of course, disaster strikes, and then we might throw up a Hail Mary prayer to the Lord. Meanwhile, our faith becomes merely lukewarm. And the Lord says, 
I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You know, lukewarm uh, liquids are, are actually quite disgusting. Take coffee, for instance, my favorite beverage. Coffee's great hot or icy cold, but lukewarm, it's terrible. Um, you can only just spit it out. So too will Jesus spit us out. He's saying that he will utterly repudiate those whose attachment to him is merely superficial or half-hearted or is nothing more than a Hail Mary in crisis. If Jesus Christ is who he said he was, if the gospel is the good news we say it is, if Christmas and Easter are more than just nice holidays, but in fact express profound, life-changing truths about God and the world and our lives, then nothing but a wholehearted response will do. We better take our faith seriously. Passion and zeal should characterize our Christian lives. Funny, but it's easy for uh, some of us in our smug complacency to become rather suspicious of Christians who seem to be too zealous uh, or earnest in living out their faith. I think of Lucy's comment to Charlie Brown at Christmas time. Lucy is saying that Christmas is a time for kindness and goodwill, a time when we accept one another, a time when we welcome others into our homes and into our lives. And Charlie Brown responds, well, why just Christmas? Why can't we be kind and accepting and hospitable all through the year? To which Lucy replies, what are you, some kind of religious fanatic? The Apostle Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. To the Laodiceans and to us uh, generally comfortable Muckleteans, Jesus gives wise counsel in the attempt to stir us up out of our lukewarm faith. The first thing he does is point us to himself. He says, if you want to really be rich, come buy from me. Jesus uses the language of business people, language the Laodiceans would understand. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Again, note how the Lord tailors his words to the unique characteristics of this city and its people. To people who were used to exchanging money in the local banks, he says, come buy gold, spiritual gold from me. To those who pride themselves on their beautiful clothes made of the town's black wool, he says, I will clothe you in white robes of righteousness. To those who use the famous Laodicean eye salve to heal eye maladies, he says, allow me to anoint your eyes to see spiritual realities. In other words, it's Christ who saves. Jesus who saves, not one's wealth, not one's comfortable lifestyle, not one's own abilities or wisdom. If we are trusting in ourselves and in our own resources, there is no need to trust God on a daily basis, which is why one can call oneself a Christian and live as a practical atheist. Because our Lord loves us, he longs to save us from wishy-washy, self-satisfied religion. If you and I want to get beyond a merely lukewarm, tepid faith, two steps are necessary. First, as the Lord, you and I must repent. Be earnest and repent, he says. To repent is to turn away from all that's known to be contrary to God's will. Like the Laodiceans, we must come to terms with our true spiritual condition and renounce the old life of easygoing complacency. 
smug self-satisfaction does not become one who claims the name of Christ. Half-hearted allegiance to Christ just doesn't cut it. You and I must repent of our, of our superficiality, our lack of seriousness, our inordinate trust in wealth. And then you and I must open the door of our hearts to Christ and let him in. Here I am, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The problem is that though we may believe in Christ and though we may think we're living a Christian life, we're actually living without him. We have left him outside the door of our, of our hearts, outside the door of our lives. We have ignored his knocking. We've left him out in the cold. And what's true for us individually is true for the church as a whole. What's interesting is that this is a picture of the Lord who was locked out of his own church. It's a picture of a Christian church without Christ. Christ is on the outside looking in. Church, do you hear me knocking? If we open the door of our hearts to Jesus Christ and let him in, give him the center place, he will bring an end to our spiritual poverty. He will transform us. He will cleanse and clothe, clothe us. He will eat with us and we shall eat with him. We shall experience all the blessings of his fellowship. We shall abide with him and he in us. And Jesus would come into our hearts not only to have warm fellowship with us, but to exercise his lordship. He, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would rule over us. He would sit on the throne of our hearts. But you and I must allow our own ego to get out of the way. You've heard, haven't you, that ego, E-G-O, stands for edging God out. This is what it means to be committed to Jesus Christ, to be wholehearted in our allegiance to him. It's to seek his will and his word and promptly obey it. It isn't just attending worship services or leading a decent life or believing certain parts of the creed. To be fully devoted to him is first of all to repent, turning decisively from everything we know to be wrong and away from anything that we are unduly dependent upon, things which are not going to save us in the end, and then to open the door to Jesus Christ, asking him to come in and to reign there, to actually rule there, to rule over us. It's to submit to him. It's putting him first and seeking his pleasure in every department of life, public and private. Nothing less will do. So what is our spiritual temperature? Are you and I hot, cold, or merely lukewarm. It depends on whether we've opened the door of our whole heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't force his way upon us. His way is not to barge right in and take over. He honors always our freedom. He waits to be invited. He stands at the door and knocks. And if we open the door, he promises to come in. And you and I can begin by saying a very simple prayer. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I've been smug and self-satisfied. I've placed too much stock in my wealth and have failed to trust you. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. 
I open the door of my heart and I now receive the gift of your fellowship. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. I give myself to you. Come and reign over me. Extend your rule over every aspect of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. To be half-hearted, complacent, and only casually interested in the things of God. To depend upon our wealth for salvation. It's to prove oneself not a Christian at all, but to be so distasteful to Christ as to be in danger of judgment. But to be fully and wholeheartedly devoted to Christ, having opened the door and submitted without reserve to him, is to be given the privilege both of eating with him on earth and of reigning with him in heaven. We must either throw the door open to him or keep it closed in his face. What shall we choose? Will you and I open the door? Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Amen.